Welcome to the DevOps Diversity Podcast, the all-inclusive place to talk people, process, and technology for enterprise transformation and modernization. I'm your host, Connor Dellenbank. Today's episode is brought to you by Strategio. Strategio is dedicated to increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion for underrepresented and underserved groups within enterprise IT. Strategio sources STEM graduates from universities across North America, invests in paid training and relocation, trains in skills including cloud and DevOps, site reliability engineering, full stack development, cybersecurity engineering, and data science, and then delivers these highly trained technologists to enterprise organizations on a one to two year contract to hire program. If you would like to find out more about the Strategio program, please go to strategio.tech. And today I'm here with Mike Williams, director at Google. Mike Williams has over 30 years of experience as a management and technology executive of global Fortune 500 companies in the technology, finance, insurance, logistics, and health industry verticals. Williams is an author, speaker, philanthropist, and angel investor. As a passionate developer of talent, Williams has spent a good part of his career developing young professionals and creating high-performing teams by instilling a culture of accountability, teamwork, collaboration, and customer focus. Mike is an active participant and leader within the communities in which he has lived and is an active advocate and contributor to programs and initiatives with a focus on community empowerment and entrepreneurship, financial literacy, and diversity. So without any further ado, Hello, Mike, and welcome to the DevOps Diversity Podcast. Hey, good morning, Connor. Uh, I'm happy to be here this morning. Yeah, really glad to, to be connecting with you. Obviously, an amazing career so far. So much you've done, so many great companies you've worked with, and the fact that you're still someone who has climbed the ranks to where you are today and is giving back and remembering the importance of taking care of your own community, that's so empowering and it's so important, and it aligns perfectly with everything we talk about on this show. No, absolutely. I think uh, giving giving back is something important as you start climbing the corporate ladder, uh, giving back to not only your community, but also to younger uh, aspiring leaders is also important as well. Exactly, exactly. So we're going to touch on so many interesting points today for our listeners. And I think the first one that's pretty important to get started with is you're a director at Google, one of the most powerful and uh, intelligent and interesting companies in the world. We all know who Google are. How have you got to the point that you're a director today? And what was the journey that took you there? It's interesting because my career started in, in 1987. And, and when everyone went off to, to college, when I graduated high school, uh, quite frankly, I took a different route. I was one of those kids that basically wasn't prepared to go on the four years of college. So two weeks after high school, after everyone was prepared for the summer, I started at a trade school. It was uh, called Computer Processing Institute at the time. And I learned how to code and, and learned about computer operations. And I got my first uh, IT job at UPS six months later. And I've been in technology ever since. Uh, moved up to director at, at UPS. Went on there for 18 years. Worked in a lot of different roles in terms of uh, building data centers, running data center operations. Did an assignment for corporate schools for like 10 months where I taught other leaders and managers uh, leadership skills and business skills. And then worked on a lot of M&A uh, initiatives and was promoted to director, probably, I think, 24, 25 at that time. And uh, went on to other companies, financial institutions, healthcare, and others. And in each case, it was just me working with great people who were providing great mentorship and uh, me being able to adapt as well. Interesting. So th this comes up with almost everybody that comes on the show. They talk about mentorship and they also talk about sponsorship. I think it's a really common theme that uh, maybe young people or those starting out their career or transitioning would have this image that just to be where you are, you've maybe been the smartest or you've been uh, the one who stood out in certain scenarios or that you were lucky or fortunate. But actually more than more often than not, when I speak to folks, it's actually, well, I had great mentors and I had the work rate and I had some things that made me stood out. But without those mentors in your life and in your career, do you think you would have got to where you were, where you, where you are today? Oh, absolutely not. Because as I described earlier, uh, I didn't go to a four-year college, so I definitely wasn't one of the smartest people. So that that wasn't the case at all. 
But when you when you think about it, because I also talk about the fact that, that I'm also an author. And, and I think mentorship is so important. It's actually the first chapter in my book. It's the very first chapter. And actually, it's the longest chapter in the book. That tells you how important it was to me. I had mentors at UPS that I'll never forget, uh, two people, Ed Zerzinski and uh, Anthony Falenga. And they taught me so much in terms of process, in terms of operations, caring about people, uh, really true leadership. And, and that paved my career uh, up until this point. So I think mentorship plays a big part. There's no one that's gotten anywhere in their careers where they've done it alone. They they most likely, if you look at any one up to a CEO, they've had a good mentor, and 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 that's why it's so important to have one. How do you find a mentor, and what do you look for in people that? I guess what did you look for in people that became your mentors, and yeah, how do you find them in the first place? That's a question I get all the time from a, a lot of uh, uh, young folks. And, and the first thing I tell them is one of the questions that I like to ask a potential mentor is what are your what are you passionate about? Because that question tells you so much about that person, because in that answer, you're going to get what their priorities are, uh, what they care about most. If you get a person that says, you know, I really care about investing in leadership that's probably a person you want as a, as a mentor, right? Um, so those things you look for, you look for a person who, who's an example of the things you aspire to be, right? Uh, Ed Zuzinski was a leader who walked around, he was tall, he was uh, very professional, even killed the whole time, no matter what was going on, people gravitated to him. And even when I was young and I was, uh, I would say a hothead that knew everything. We, when we're young, we, we got all the answers. We know everything. Um, he set me down in a way to let me know that I didn't have all the answers and there was still a lot that I needed to learn. And when so when you look at for mentors, look for people like Ed uh, in, in terms of those people who are professional, who's willing to invest in you and your development. And they show an example of uh, what you aspire to be. Yeah, somebody, somebody that you can look up to that you've seen them solve some real problems in their own life. They, they've maybe been through uh, some similar scenarios and progressed further than you have. And they have the, the wisdom and the experience that they can be a shining light. And uh, I think that's really important where you mentioned being able to actually check that, like the mentor should be able to check you and, and be able to say, you don't know it all yet, but in a, in a compassionate and, and, uh, and humble way so that it's not just telling you what to do. They are opening your eyes. They're facilitating your journey so that you will figure it out for yourself. I think it's uh, planting the breadcrumbs along the way, and you're going to go through that journey and on that route and, uh, and, and find the, the solutions along a long time. Also, you'll fail a number of times, and it's someone who's there to explain that it's okay to fail. It's how we get back up. It's how we learn, and what can we learn and to make sure we, we limit those kinds of mistakes in the future, and we have an easier chance the next time around. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're going to fail. I mean, it's, you know, failure is, is really just you learning how to succeed because you learn your, your best lessons when you fail. Uh, and, and, and I think that's important. And I think as a, a mentor or even as a leader, you have to give your people room to fail and grow because that's where your growth comes from. Uh, those lessons through failure. Exactly. It's not just saying, here's every answer so quickly. I think actually people that are less experienced with mentorship, but giving that, but having their first go at being a mentor might end up in that scenario, not just a mentor, but well, I see leaders and managers as mentors as well, coaches, they're, they're there to facilitate. And earlier career or first time leaders might have that scenario where they just, they're so smart, they know how to find the answers for their team or their organization or their group. And so they'll just solve the problem straight away. But you're not allowing people to learn. And you also need to have a buffer in place where they are able to fail. So then we need to look at systematic ways that we have some room for failure, but it doesn't bring the whole system down, whether that's a people process or technology system we're talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally agree. So when we're, we're looking at, at, um, at having guidance, having sponsorship, mentorship, it's not always as easy for certain groups in tech at the moment. And it's getting better, I think, by the day. I think there's a lot of initiatives working on diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
But at the same time, for many of our careers, and I imagine in the 30 years you've had in technology, you've, many, many, you've often been the only person in the room that looks like you or that's from your own background. So as a, a black man in technology, how, how did you go about navigating through that without having necessarily people that truly understood your own background, your own culture, and maybe your own life experiences? Yeah, that's a very good question. And, and I've, I've been in a lot of rooms, as you said, where I was most likely, and actually not even most likely, I was truly the only one. And the the other thing too is it's it's about, I, I was never in a place where I was uncomfortable, but I always asked the question why I was the only one. Uh, because when you're in it initially, you're not even thinking about diversity uh, and, and, and uh, inclusion and equity. You're not even thinking about that. You just notice that you're the only one. And then as you start your career and you start to, to see the movement towards that and the recognition of that, uh, then you're kind of aware at that point. But my earlier years, that's not what I was thinking about. I just knew I was the only one. But how I handle it is it was really, you show up as your authentic self. I, I think in everything you do, you show up as your authentic self. And you want people to look at you not based on your color. Obviously, I'm, I'm a black man. I'm always going to be black, always have been black. And I and I and I'm proud of my heritage, but my heritage. But when you when you work, you want people to respect you for the work and the value that you deliver, regardless of your color. And when you start talking about diversity, that's what a lot of people want. They want the the equal footing, uh, the fair chance that everyone else gets, and to be judged based on their character and on their work, not based on their skin color. So when I sat in those rooms, for me, it was really about looking at the value that I bring, not so much my color. And I looked at the other people the same way. I, I think that's such a, a, an inspiring way to do it. And I, I hope that others who may be at times the only one in the room that is from their own background can take a, a string from, from what Mike is saying there and, and actually think, it's okay. It doesn't mean you have to feel different. If anything, if you can embrace who you really are and embrace your full self and not feel like you have to change or assimilate or just fit in, if you can say, regardless of my background, I am, for example, I am Connor Dellenbank and you can't change that. And actually that's something that in my own life, being mixed race from a, a black and white family, I always had that because you're almost always going to be the only one in the room. And often people don't realize because maybe you're light skinned, you don't look as far away from white or maybe sometimes as far away from black as, the, as the, those folks might think. But you constantly know that you're the only one in the room. And my dad always told me, he said, you're not a color. You're not defined by this like label or by a race or an ethnicity. You're just Connor and bring Connor to the table. And I love that. So I've, I've never forgotten it. And it's actually the founding value, the first of our eight values at Strategio to be unapologetically yourself. That's our first value, be unapologetically yourself. And it means bring your full self to work. It doesn't matter about your race, religion, ethnicity, cultural background, gender, sexual orientation, the list goes on. Does not matter whoever you are. And even if your name changes, then your new name is who you are. That's who you are and bring it to yourself. Whatever you feel like, be a, belong in the place that you're in. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you got to make sure from that when people see you and, and you have to see others as who they are as well. Exactly. That's right. So it's not just, it, it's not just on you as a, because sometimes we look internally and we think about how we feel all the time and that's fine. We should, we should feel that we belong. We should feel included, but also you have to make sure that you're reflecting that and, and letting other people be themselves. And you don't just think, well, Hey, I'm the one who deserves to feel like this. Every single person that is in a group or an organization deserves to feel the same way. And actually that then stems to, we need to proactively support everybody. We need to be allies. So for example, we're guys right now, how, how are we helping women in technology? How are we helping people from LGBTQ plus groups in technology? And the list goes on. So it's not just, okay, I'm mixed race, I'm Connor, my problems matter. It's like, I want to help people who are like me and lift them up. And I also want to help others that are from less represented groups or from underserved groups and make sure they have a fair chance. Because I, I truly just believe that, the, the, it's, it stems from, it starts with representation, like you said, having others in the room or having mentors that allow you to feel like you have someone to aspire to be like, but then it's diversity, then it's equity, then it's inclusion, then it's belonging. So it all comes in this pipeline. And so we all have to do our part to support that. And in turn, then we have a higher quality technology industry and a higher quality society. Because if we're not 
actually supporting uh, diversity in technology. We're having uh, single thoughts. We're not allowed to actually think outside of the box. We don't have teams creating as as, uh, as interesting outcomes. And it's already proven that that diverse, more diverse teams are higher performing. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think you know, just staying right there, you just think about it this way. You know, as a black man, it's a challenge uh, in any profession, especially in corporate America, as you said, you know, you can be the only person in the room. And you think that's tough in itself, but imagine being a woman, right? And then imagine being a black woman. So when you look at what's actually tough, the, the woman and the black or the Hispanic woman really have it like four times as tough uh, as a black man. So when we look at that, which is why I think all of us, regardless of race, have to support women and have to support uh, 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 women in the workforce, uh, women on the entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship side, because all of those things, they're at a disadvantage, more so than any man, regardless of the man's color. And I think that's very, very important in terms of, as leaders, it's something we have to do, something we must do and be committed to doing, uh, not only just about diversity and race of men, but more so making sure women are put in the right positions and given the same opportunities that, that we have. Correct, and, and giving a fair voice. And that doesn't mean just having women in the room. It means actually giving them the room to speak, the yeah. room to actually speak, and, and in a way that they feel comfortable, that they belong, and that they feel included. And I think very often, we just assume that by having some, okay, we've given someone this job title, that we've ticked the box, we've achieved, or maybe not, some companies don't even think they're just ticking the box, they think they've done it right. But there's another step to that. And it's how do you allow people to truly belong and feel that they can be their true self? And it's not always going to be that in a room of if you've got 12 men in a room and you've got one or two women, or even if you've got six women, they may not always feel that they have the same voice. It's the Sometimes it's the way that we actually communicate and collaborate that is still not including women in the way that we need to. And I think the more that we educate ourselves around this, we need to read about it. We need to listen. We need to actually hear people's voices and we need to study and then continue to try and improve because this isn't something that's fixed now and it's not going to be fixed in, in the next few weeks or years. It's going to take a long time because the way society has systematically been built from a long time ago, and we need to really work towards improving the way things are. And then you look at when you have women in leadership, more often than not, they're higher performing than the male teams. So yeah. we're actually missing out. I, I had a great um, chat with a with a leader the other day, for, and uh, and her her whole philosophy on investment is that they're focusing on women led startups. And all the data she shared is how these women led startups are. It's a huge gap in the market, and they're higher performing almost every time. They exit sooner at higher value. So it's like people are still leaving women out of the conversation and they're still performing higher than we are as men. And yeah. it's like, what are we do? Yeah. And I want to talk about that because outside of here, I'm, I'm a part of an organization. Uh, it's called Launchpad 2X. And it specifically focuses on women founders to, to CEOs, right? And in fact, I was working on a presentation last night for a cohort that's coming up for them. So they specifically focus on women founders that are looking for funding. It's actually the number in terms of VC funding women only get like 2.3%. That was, this was as of last year. And the highest it's ever been is 2.8%. The highest it's ever been, that was the, the high. And last year it was like 2.8%. So when you start talking about the disadvantage they have, and you're right, women entrepreneurs have grown 114% from, I think it was like 20, 2007 to like 2020 or uh, 2018, 114%. All the new businesses that are starting are being started by women. The majority of businesses are being started by women. Yet most of their businesses, only women make about 100 grand. And if you look at Black women, Black women represents a large part of all the businesses that have started over the last couple of years. So when you start looking at those numbers, to your point, there should be an investment. There should be some uh, equity in the women because they're outperforming. And when you look at the, the workforce in terms of diversity, diverse workforce, you're looking at two to three times as it relates to uh, uh, higher performing companies, you look at cash flow, all those things improve across the board. If you look at any of the McKinsey studies, all those things improve across the board. So when you don't give women a seat, and, and I kind of look at it this way, diversity is like you're showing up and saying, you know, 
there's a table, everyone has a seat already, and someone says, pull up a chair, right? You're still on the outside, but you're actually in the room. Inclusions is more or less, when you get invited to the table, there's a reserved seat for you, and then you're there with everyone else. And to your point, you have a voice. That's what we have to get to. We, we have to get away from just telling someone to pull up a chair because you're in the room, but making sure they're not only invited and there's a reserved seat, but they also have a voice like everyone else in the room. What is it that we're currently doing to still not give that voice at the table? What are some of the, the, the key areas that people could potentially improve when they're doing that? When they're excluding women from the conversation, they may have let them come in the room, but they're not given the true voice. What kind, what kind of things could we do better? Yeah, I think there needs to be, and I think a lot of companies are doing that, uh, even, even Google and, and, and some of the others uh, have an initiative where they're, they're making that part of their, their performance ratings in, in terms of that, uh, making sure that they, they hire diverse talent. Um, the other thing, too, is we, we have to let go of our biases because some men just, good or bad, feel uncomfortable taking, you know, orders or, 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 or direction from women. We have to get over that as well as men. Um, there's a lot that we need to think about individually in, in, in terms of our internal biases, but also there's companies that have to hold their leadership accountable to make sure that they're basically going out and, 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 and building a diverse team that they're investing in women, they're in the best investing in, in diverse uh, races, black, Latino, or some of the others. I think, and then there should be a measuring stick with that. And that should be tied to compensation, which some, some companies are doing. Uh, that narrative has to change. And a lot of that has to deal with culture and the culture has to change from the top down. Agreed. And it, that's where it stems back to the one of the points we made earlier, where by, by, by starting with representation and diversity, you're then going to have people in leadership positions that understand and empathize with the folks that aren't being included and they don't feel a sense of belonging. And so I think the, we're, we're in a decent early phase of this change. I think it re like people really started to pay attention in 2020, more, more than I've ever seen in my career. And it does inspire me, actually, where every day when I go on LinkedIn and, and I have a quick scroll through my homepage, every day I'm seeing new women in technology, new women startup investments, yeah. new black people in technology. I'm seeing Google, Amazon. On boards, yeah. on boards, all those things. Every are coming day. Up. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's like, yes, we're actually. And I thought, like, I think most of us think, OK, a societal event happens, the, the murder of George Floyd in 2020. And you're like, OK, this, this, we've seen this happen over and over again. OK, it's probably going to go away. It's, and then finally, it's like, no, the corporate America actually listened. And they didn't just listen to black people. I think that's what's important. They carved a, a way for other minority groups, for other people that are being underserved and underrepresented. And that's what's so important. It wasn't like, just help us out. It's like everyone needs to have a seat. And then companies said, right, we need to include everybody. It's time. The initiatives have begun and they are speaking about it in the corporate boardrooms. And here we are every single day, new people being onboarded, new people being invested in. And I'm like, right, this is, this is what we need. We're getting true representation. You're even seeing it in marketing and design. You're seeing actually the faces of the people that represent society. And it's normalizing it, which is exactly what we need. It's healthy because then we're no longer the only person in the room. We're just another person. And that's what we should be. Yeah. And, and, and I tell you, and, and working for Google, I, I have to say that I'm very proud because the CEO made a, a bold commitment in terms of improving diversity and basically making reports public. And since I've been here, I've been here, you know, three and a half months or so. And they've made commitments to cities like Atlanta and, and other cities uh, to build out. And I tell you, the, the number of women and the number of diverse talent that's been hired and the folks that uh, we, we brought on and just, heck, the, the, the time that I've been here, you clearly see the, the commitment. And clearly, you know, I'm here for more or less the same reason. But you clearly see the commitment from, from Google uh, where they're committing to diversity. And then you as, you, as you alluded to, all the other companies are doing some of the same things as well. And it's beautiful to see because I, I think that's the way where you, you make it fair for all. Uh, and there's a lot of talent. And then obviously, as we talked about from the McKinsey reports and others, there's a business value 
to diversity. There's, there's no question about it. And it's good to see that it is happening. Uh, and, and, and obviously we all can say more needs to be done. And if it can be done faster, it should. But we have to sit in and, and recognize the progress that's being made because you see it on all the boards, uh, people joining boards. I think you had Larry Quinlan on recently. He, 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 I think he retired and, and joined the ServiceNow board. Uh, and you're seeing a lot of that uh, going on in a lot of different places. That's it. Exactly. It, I'm seeing it by the day, by the week. And I'm, I kind of look back on a Friday and it's, it's nice that we're recording this on a Friday today. And I, every week I'm like, yeah, there is some some strides being taken. And even the conversations I get to have, given that Strategio's entire mission is to improve DE&I for women and people of color in enterprise IT, every single conversation is with folks who are in big Fortune 500 companies that care about exactly this. And uh, it inspires me because I know that I have that mission. I know that my team has that mission. But then when you realize it is important and there's yeah, chief diversity officers, heads of HR, heads of procurement, vendor management, heads of technology, they're all saying, hey, we need this. How do yeah. we find diverse STEM talent? How do we um, make sure that they feel they belong here? How do we make them feel included? How do we offer them long-term opportunities and develop and train them? And so it seems to be working. I, I, I consistently, as, as well as enjoying the moment and looking at where we're, where we're getting to, I do look to the future and I think, wow, it's going to be every time I see that new young employee being onboarded from a diverse background, I think, hell yeah, like where are we going to be next year? Where are we going to be in five years? And th th this is a, an industry that's truly opened up and it's like, it's a very nice and exciting time. Yeah, and, and I think we've, we've uh, a lot of us, uh, there's always more work to be done, right? But I think a lot of us have complained enough, but we have to sit and, and recognize when we see progress and when we see a movement happening. And, and, and to a lot of companies, I mean, and kudos to them because they're, they're making strides. Yeah, there's a lot more to be done, but you got to recognize the strides and in, in the, in the commitment and the effort uh, as to where it is today. And, and, and I think we're seeing some of that. Agreed, agreed. So... You, you brought up that you've been at Google three and a half months. You've, uh, you've come from a broad background, financial services, insurance, logistics, health, uh, healthcare, or health industry. So um, how, what does your background bring to Google, this massive tech company that's really were they were the, the, the movers and shakers that came in the industry, changed how most corporations think and do things, still are doing so. What do they need from your experience right now? Yeah, a lot of it. First and foremost, as as Google, you know, director, you're you're an executive uh, on the team. So the leadership aspect is a big thing, right? Um, and then the the other side of that, when you start looking at technology, it's interesting. You look at all the industry verticals, and, and as you noted, I worked in many. When you look at a server, you look at an Oracle database, you look at all those things. Regardless of company, it's 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 all the same, right? The only difference that I that I realize is that it's in the, the application or business, the business logic. If you work in healthcare to have an application, it's gonna be different from financial services application. But when you have technology, a server is a server, a database is a database, it, the data that's in it may be different, but you know, uh, you, know you look at a, you know, whether it's a mainframe database, it's an Oracle database, they all basically work the same. It's a matter of how you manage it. So that's what I realized because a lot of, as you might guess, Every time I interview, it's like, oh, you haven't worked in this industry before. And, but once I get there, I realize it, it, it has nothing to do, once you're working in, within technology, working in the data centers, working on hardware, has very to do with the business logic, which is in the application. You still have to support it. Um, but it has more to do with understanding technology, how to also innovate, how to lead your teams and provide business value. And every company has that. So all those skills are applicable to all those vertical, industry verticals. So at Google, I worked in tech, obviously I worked at IBM. Uh, FIS was a tech company, is a FinTech company. So, and, and when you look at UPS, UPS will tell you they're a tech company. Their package systems and all that, a lot of people don't realize UPS is run based on tech. It's a logistic company, but if you look at the applications that they run, it would actually be comparable to most uh, tech companies. So all those companies have large tech departments uh, and it's all applicable. That experience is applicable to, to really any company. 
I like the way you look at this because it's very clear that your your self-belief and, and knowledge of what you've already gained and, and know from your whole career brings you to the point that you're like, I, I, I do know exactly why I should be in this company. I'm not afraid of taking this interview. And, I'm, and you've been able to move industry to industry because you realize that it really is more important to understand the how businesses operate, how teams and processes work. Technology is always the what's being done within these companies. It's just the business logic or the use case that might change every single time. And it actually sounds like from the very beginning, something we almost skipped over, but I think is really important to, to look at. You got your way into technology by just giving it a go, taking this, taking a course. And might, it might be 30 years later. It doesn't matter if it's one year or 30 years, but you're now at one of the most prestigious tech companies on earth and you're a director. So I want to bring that back for a second for people who are listening and make them realize you might be a fresh graduate today. Whoever's listening to this could be a fresh graduate. If you're thinking of changing your career, transitioning your career, or if you're thinking of taking your first job, I think the key thing here is to say, apply for the job, take the interview, give it a go, right? That's the only reason any of us have got to where we are today. Absolutely. And one key there is that you can also start over because one thing I didn't mention is that, you know, after the Cigna, I actually took two years off. And as you know, in this field, when you take two years off at my level, I was, uh, you know, uh, SVP at FIS. And, you know, I, I generally reported one level down from the CIO. I always report to the CIO of all these different companies. So I took a break uh, for like almost two years. So getting back in, it was like starting over because you're not going to get paid the same thing you were getting paid before and you have to start all over. So the, the other thing to what you said was it's, it's you can start over because what I realized, it wasn't so important for me to, to chase titles and dollars anymore. It was having this rhythm with my life in terms of my, my daughter and making sure I'm there for her because I was doing a, a lot of traveling, living in multiple cities. So I just took a break and said I needed it once spent some time with my daughter. But it tells you you can start all over again. It tells you just because you're out of work, you don't lose the skill, even though most recruiters somehow just think automatically that you're worthless yeah, you're now. Work right there. <laughs> so, yeah, right, right. So, so you, go, you go through all of that, but you have to be confident in yourself where you get in and you prove yourself all over again. Um, and, and I think that's important, but I, I think it's, it's important for everyone coming out of school that are, are someone who's in a profession that may be looking to, 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 for a change. Sometimes you just got to shoot your shot and, and be confident in your own ability to add value. And I think that's really key is, is look at yourself and think about the value that you can provide. And if you provide value, there's always, there's always opportunity in, in a lot of companies for anyone that can provide value. Exactly. And if you're looking at things like a job description, or if you're speaking to a recruiter or, or, a, or a hiring manager, don't, don't just look at the job and think, can I do the job? Think what value can I bring? Think outside of the box. Like there could be value in who you are and some of your, your, the way you approach problems that is totally different to any other applicant that actually goes above and beyond the job itself. And I think that's what people need to focus on. I always say in my career that we need to start with value first and everything else follows, whether that's you're speaking to customers, whether it's speaking to your team, whether it's speaking to your leaders, whoever you're speaking to, if you're starting with providing value, the rest of the things you want will always come afterwards. Yeah. And, and, and to your point, it's just even the investments when you're working and you're making investments in IT and, and you don't make investments just to or buy technologies just for technology's sake. You're making an investment to enable the business. So there's always a question, what's the value proposition? Like, OK, we're making this investment. Why? What will it do to help our customers? What will it do to help or elevate my, uh, our business? So there's always a question of value and, and, and what value will, will it bring, whether that's an investment in you as a person or an investment in technology, because you're not doing any of that, even people or technology, you're not doing that just for the sake of doing it. You're doing it to improve your customer service, to improve your, your top line and bottom line. That's why you, you make the investment in people and technology in the first place. Exactly. That it's this. It's whether it's software, whether it's hardware, whether it's people. They companies want to know that they're getting that value back. And so, if you can share what your value is, and I think actually, if you can start looking at what is the value, like, and we don't mean just financial value. We mean in terms of 
Well, it, it usually will for a company come back around to finance, but as an individual, it could be, how do you do above and beyond what that job is? How do you think differently? How do you solve problems in a different way? And in turn, guess what? You'll also provide financial value, which is what a lot of leadership will end the end goal or in the boardroom care about as well. Yeah, and, and it's, it's the differentiator. And, and, and because when I wrote my first book, it was titled The Advantage Factor. And, and, and that was really the point. What's your advantage factor or differentiator? What differentiates you from the next candidate? Because if I got five candidates, what is your value proposition and what's your differentiator, right? So that's why I always say, what's your advantage factor? And, and I think that's important. And, and you as, uh, you got to look at yourself as a brand and you got to think about if five people randomly, if someone asks uh, five people randomly about you, what would those five people say, right? Because that's pretty much the brand that you've actually created. And that's what you really have to think about. And it's this is why I've always tried to share with people that in technology, you can't just do your own job that you're being told to do. Even if you are an individual contributor, you need to do a little bit more because that's how you're really going to stand out. So sure, some people might think, well, hey, I do just do that and I'm fine. You might be fine. However, there's building a brand. It's so important. Are you sharing uh, blogs? Are you maybe attending podcasts and sharing your knowledge? I think whatever people can, if you have knowledge, I think it's a disservice to people in the industry if you're not sharing it. And a lot of people think, well, I, I, don't, I don't know enough. Every, if you're in that job, you know something and someone else might be able to learn from that. Whether you have six months experience, three months or 30 years, that experience, for example, over the first six months of your job that you could share how I went to the, how I started learning Google Cloud, how I learned Docker and Kubernetes in six months, those, those like first career steps, that could be awesome to share at the same in the same way that like right now, Mike and I are discussing his experience 30 years in, right? You're sharing your knowledge, your wisdom as, as a leader now. People can share whatever they know because the next person's always going to need that. So things like writing blogs, uh, posting on LinkedIn, attending podcasts, attending events, speaking at meetups, these kind of things that grow your personal brand. And when you do that, sharing pictures, sharing videos, coming back to your company, sharing the knowledge with your own company. This is actually how the industry grows. It's the whole, it's kind of like you're open sourcing your own self and giving that knowledge and getting knowledge as you go. Yeah. And, and I think it's a source of giving back because it's always interesting when we talk about giving, we look at things from a, uh, from a, a philanthropist standpoint, but I always tell people everyone can give. And, and in, in this example, you can give your knowledge back, you can give your experience back to the, the technology community, right? You can give that back to the college student who's preparing to graduate from college and looking at different options. So I think that's important to, to tell your story um, and also give people some insight. Uh, I talk to a lot of people all the time that are looking either to change careers and get into tech or looking to, to leave college and, and, and take on a tech career. Um, and I think it's important that we take the time and invest in people because we've never gotten to a place, as we talked about earlier, we've, leaders don't get to a place by themselves. Uh, it's always been someone to help us along the way. It's our responsibility as leaders to make sure we give that back. That's our payment of that debt. Uh, that's what we need to do. And, and, and I think we all have to be committed to that. Yeah, I, I love that. That's, that's so inspiring. You, you mentioned earlier on Larry, and he's a great example of someone that in his oh, career yeah. is doing that. And you're clearly doing better things in a very similar way. So Larry, Larry's amazing. <laughs> So we touched on Google briefly and, and, and where you are, why you're there and what Google's doing in some capacity. I'm, I'm interested to, to think about, because there's a lot of companies out there that look up to the likes of Google and they think, well, they're the, they're the modern ones, they're the leaders. But they've also now in tech, tech world, they've been around for a few years, which is funny in our lifetime, like they've come and now they're actually in this state of needing to modernize all over again. So from what I, I understand, there's, they're doing transformation. They're, they're also trying to modernize, even though they're the disruptors of so many different industries. So from a technology perspective, how, does that, how do you approach trying to transform and modernize Google coming from the companies you've gone to? and bringing that new knowledge to, to what their teams need now? There's really two things I think uh, most companies are dealing with, which is what Google's dealing with, and they're, they're trying to look at adapting to. Security is always at first of mind. And then like every other company, uh, security is, is what you know 
uh, Google and, and so many other people are looking at and, and adapting to the new world of uh, uh, reaches and all, all the other stuff and protecting our customers and, and, and our assets. And then the other thing is, what do we do with this, this hybrid workforce? This is a new, new thing uh, with, with COVID. Every company is going to have this hybrid workforce going forward. And what do we do? And, and one of the initiatives where I was brought on is to help look at that in terms of how do we actually prepare and build uh, applications or, 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 or uh, systems that can support our developers anywhere, anywhere they choose to work. And every company is dealing with that. And so every company is transforming in that, in that fashion. It's just a matter of how they're going to use technology to kind of enhance the, 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 the user experience, how they're going to use technology and processes to better uh, protect uh, customer data and assets. So I think like other, every other company, that transformation is around those things because that's the, the, the world we live in today. It's a fascinating time because by, by the day, I, I'm realizing that, yes, people and companies try to talk about we're going to be back in the office and this is how things are going to work. The, the way things work, we will never be in the old way. Like that we're not going back to what normal looks like. And it's on, it's on us as people and as companies to embrace what that is. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's work from home for everybody. It doesn't mean it's hybrid for everybody or it's going to be in the office. It's the fact that we're building a workforce and we're building systems and processes that allow us to handle the whichever way we go with, whether it's hybrid or work from home. And I just think it's an amazing time to see that and to also think about not just the systems that support it, but the ways that we actually collaborate, the ways we change leadership and like actually the way we think of work, flexible working, work from anywhere. Concepts that, yes, they've been done in tech for a long time, but as a mass scale workforce, as a society, it's totally different. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the fact is a lot of CEOs frowned on that um, previously. Uh, a lot of CEOs, a lot of companies frowned on the work from home and all those things. They wanted everyone You're just chilling out. Work. You're not working. If yeah, you're yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, and now you see some of this, those same CEOs front and center talking about the fact that we, we can't go back to the way we, we worked before. There has to be a hybrid model. So the, the, the conditions have changed the, the mindset of a lot of folks because it's the reality of the world. And what they realize is that a lot of people who work from home that were very productive because that was always the, 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 uh, that was always the thought. They thought that if everyone was working remotely, they wouldn't be as productive. And in fact, people were more productive. And in fact, they were taking more, uh, more meetings, like you know, me and others are taking on more meetings because we're at home and, and they realized that. So now it's like, you know what? We don't need to have all these buildings that we have where, you know, people, people choose to work from home. Let's have a hybrid model. And so it's changed the landscape and the thought process of a lot of leaders in terms of what we need to do. And then also it's allowed employees to kind of dictate what they, what they want to do or what company they want to work for. If you, if you don't have a hybrid or a remote model, they're going to go to the next company that has it. So you're kind of forced into that. And if you see how things happen, when someone makes an announcement in tech, the other one pretty much follows because there's a competitive landscape and that the competition is, is, is really serious when it comes to getting talent. And, the, and especially the younger folks are looking at that, what a company's doing as it relates to the, the work from home or just the, the hybrid workforce. So everyone's looking at all those things because now they have a whole lot of options because it's not just tech companies, it's other financial services or logistics. Everyone's doing that that has a tech department. So everyone's considering that. So it's very competitive and it's either you're in the game or you're out and, and the talent is going to just go elsewhere. Exactly. And it's, it's less uh, from a talent's perspective. It's not even just that they, they need to be at home. It might be that they just don't want to work for a company that's controlling them in that sense. They yeah. want to see that if I work for your company, you align with my values, you align with my vision of what, how people should be treated that's the area we're in. It's treating people right. It's trusting them. I think that's really the key thing, trusting people that we weren't doing before. We've, I, I've seen it in my career. Hey, I, I need to be home today for this. Oh, we need you in the office to do work. <laughs> it's like, hold on, I have a laptop. I have a phone. <laughs> we're able to do work anywhere. So it's, um, yeah, it's a crazy time in terms of like 
the fact that we flipped so many different people's mindsets. There really is no option at this point. I don't think it's like you, you can try and force people all you want. I think having a workspace available if people need it, because we have to remember that it's not equitable for everybody and we need to try and improve that equity so that everyone has a, a healthy workspace, a place that they feel productive. But for those that truly want to be at home and enjoy that, they need to have that space too, because they may feel, for example, we forget about things like neurodiversity and certain people are not comfortable working in an office environment that might be bad for anxiety for asperger's autism adhd there's loads of different um reasons across the spectrum that people might not actually be as productive in a working in a, in a solid office and they might be better home alone and really highly productive in that space yeah and, and i think the, the 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 climate has changed quite a bit because it's always been the case where companies are interviewing talent now more and more and especially going forward talent is going to be more or less interviewing companies in terms of what they have to offer, uh, looking at benefits, looking at, you know, their, their setup as it relates to working remotely or, or having a hybrid model. So talent more and more is going to start interviewing companies because again, it, it's just so competitive. Exactly. It's so, it, I've never seen it the way it is right now. Yeah. It's actually when you mentioned that you decided to have a couple of years off and, and think and refresh and, and be there for your, your daughter and things like that. It's actually the time. This is the time a lot of people are having right now. I've never seen so many people who have had long careers who have decided to no, know now's the time I'm going to start a company or I'm going to go somewhere else. People right now. Because we've had off the back of 2020, there's so many different things that happened. We, we know what they are from the pandemic through to, to, to racial um, injustice and, and, and so on and so forth. During that time, people have had a chance to think. We've had a lot more time being introspective. We've been with our families. We've been at home and we're like, hey, I don't want to work like that anymore. I want to go where my values align. So it's this real refresh whether people are taking breaks, whether they're transitioning careers. I, there's people who have had 20 plus year careers that are saying, I'm just going to go and go to do a boot camp. I'm going to go and do a full stack academy. I'm going to learn to code. I want to change my career. I'm going to do UX design. I feel like I want to be a designer now. Like the list of things people are doing is so awesome. And it's empowering that the, the actual workforce are now able to think for themselves. So they don't feel like I have to just go to work because this company is the only one I can find. There's a lot of companies hiring it. Yeah, and, and, and I think it's great because it's changing the, the landscape and the thought process uh, for a lot of companies and a lot of leaders. Um, and so it's, it's, it's definitely great for some of the younger folks uh, coming out of, out of school. And some of them are still in school. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's great for them as well. Exactly. So we've made it to our quick fire questions, which is uh, one of the, my favorite parts of, uh, of each episode. We've got three of them. And so Mike, question number one, if you had the chance, what is the number one thing you tell your younger self on day one of their first job? It would most certainly be to be patient. I, I think the, I was young, uh, when you're young, you're hungry. And, and I think I talked about it earlier, you think you know everything. And uh, I was told, uh, and, I, and I wrote about this in my book, I was told in a nice way that, no, you don't know everything, slow down. I, I think just being patient and, and really sitting back and, and, and really taking in the knowledge uh, and, and the lessons that were actually occurring in front of me. And in some cases, I missed their earlier ones. Uh, so being patient is, is, is quite important. Number two, what is the number one personality trait that you look for in future leaders? Motivation. Um, I, I think motivation is, is self-driven. Uh, and I'll give you an example. You can have a trainer that can inspire you once you hit to the gym and, and really inspire you to, to do more reps and, and, and sets, but you have to still show up to the gym. That motivation and just like work, you still have to show up to work, all that stuff. No one can do that and decide that but you. So you have to have motivation. Once you have that, someone can inspire you, but the motivation is all on you. So I think that's important. Number three, what is the number one non-negotiable skill that you expect from everyone that you hire? That's an easy one, without a doubt, integrity. Integrity is, is, is above, everything starts there. I mean, it, it, don't have integrity you know, because integrity kind of 
basically leans towards also accountability, responsibility. I, I think those things are important, very important. Love all of those answers, and I I can relate to all of them. I see why they all matter in every way.、Um, I think about on the first one where you mentioned patience. It's like I feel that you have to be patiently impatient when you're starting your career. It's like you have to you have to be running because you need to work and get somewhere and move forward. You have to do it quickly. You have to also have the ability to to have some introspect and actually to sit back and say things are okay, or I will get there if I keep running. I will get there. I think that's already a way of putting it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, sometimes we, you know, when we're younger, and even some of the younger folks today, we want everything microwave quick, right? We want instant, and and we recognize there's a process to there's a process to everything, and sometimes we we put in the work and we just have to follow the process. Uh, and then you know enjoy it because、uh, sometimes we want to get there, but we just don't want to go through the motions to get there. But we got to enjoy the, the the journey to get there and, and, and take our time and, and really be patient because it exposes us to to so much.、Uh, and, and 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 in fact, it exposed me to things that I didn't recognize then that I was able to leverage later on in my career. Uh, so I think we we just sit back and just be patient a little bit and and just really look around, take in the lessons from mentors and others. Uh, uh, I did well, but I, I think there are some things that if I had to do them over again, <laughs> I would do them over. <laughs> so patience is important. Thank thank you so much, Mike. This has been a、uh, a really awesome episode. You've been such a great guest. We're sharing all of your knowledge. I, you. Obviously, you naturally inspire me with the things you've been doing outside of, regardless of Google and where you're at your career. It's the way that you give back and you're allied to people and you support them. I'll be making sure that all of your links to who you are, what you've done, and also the books that you've mentioned, they'll be stored in there in the podcast wherever you're listening, whether it's Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud. So, Mike, thank you so much for joining me. Great episode. Really enjoyed it. Hey, thank you, Connor. This was actually great. Very good questions, and and hopefully,、uh, and I wish you all the success on your endeavors as well. Looks like you're doing quite a bit. So,、uh, and enjoy the Miami weather as well. Yeah, thank thank you so much. All right, thanks. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the DevOps Diversity Podcast. I've been your host, Connor Dallenbank, and today's episode was brought to you by Strategia. If you like what you heard during today's episode. Please don't forget to hit like, subscribe, and share.